Fear, where terror is homegrown. Join us as we take a drive down dusty back roads and discover the obscure and dark history of this country, human and otherwise, that lurk in your backyard. Welcome back to another episode of State of Fear Podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and with me as always every week because he loves his job is James. What's up, everybody? What's up, man? So today's episode is episode 20 on the great state of Maryland. That's right, Maryland. Yeah. We're rolling uh, right along, man. We are. And we're going through to do something a little bit different today. Um, it's not true crime. It's not paranormal. Um, it is a travesty. But, but it, yeah, uh, it is equally messed up. Let's yes. just put it that way. We are going to discuss the Edgewood experiments that took place in Maryland. Before we do that, uh, I do want to discuss some of the more well-known experiments that have happened over the course of history. A few that aren't as well-known, but are equally as messed up as well. Yes, indeed. And unfortunately, that's an unfortunate part of our history. It is. is yes. There has been a ton of, of human experimentation oh in all cultures. Yes. Uh, but unfortunately, a ton here in the United States. Yes. yes. Over time, uh, mostly dealing with military personnel or other expendable types like prisoners. Prisoners, yeah. You know, and stuff like that. And even handicaps. And even handicaps. Unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, so but let's get into some of the... Um, some other experiments real quick before we start our episode, shall we? Uh, yeah. All right. Let's so the monster study took place in Iowa in 1939 at the University of Iowa. The researchers were Wendell Johnson and Mary Tudor, and they conducted a stuttering experiment on 22 orphaned children in Davenport, Iowa. We may need to get into more, more um, detail on this on our next Iowa episode because I hadn't heard about this before and it sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, so basically they were separated into two groups. The first group received positive speech therapy where they were praised for speech fluency. The second group would receive negative speech therapy and were belittled for each uh, speech imperfection. Now, if that just doesn't spell abuse in all caps and bold print, I don't know what does. See, that's the kind of messed up stuff humans do to each other Mm -hmm. that really gets under my skin. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really, I mean, for orphan children. Yeah. Let's get a stuttered kid and let's yell at him. Yeah. You know, that, that's messed up. Normal speaking children in the second group uh, developed speech problems, which were then retained for the rest of their lives. Of course. I mean, you, it's, Tra- neg- it's negative uh, reinforcement. Traumatized them. Yeah. Uh, terrified by the news of human experiments conducted by the Nazis, Johnson and Tudor never published the results of their quote-unquote monster study. Good, but at least we know about it, bastards. Now, there's also the MK Ultra uh, project, which is... Famous in the world of conspiracy theory and uh, human experimentation. Kind of my realm. The yes. conspiracy theory stuff, yeah. It was a CIA-sponsored research program that experimented in human behavioral engineering. It ran from 1953 to 1973 and employed various mythologies to manipulate the mental states of American and Canadian citizens. 
Now, these were unwitting human subjects who were applied with LSD and other mind-altering drugs, uh, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal and sexual abuse, and various forms of torture. The research occurred at universities, hospitals, prisons, and pharmaceutical companies, so just all across the board. See, and, and that that's all had to do with probably some top-secret government thing, yeah. you know, so I get very angry at the government a lot mm -hmm. because I just don't know who in the hell they really think they are. They think they're they, they the forgot law. who the hell they worked for a long time ago. Yeah. You know. uh, so there's also uh, one that's a little inter little less. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just weird. Effective radiation on testicles. Well, uh, I'm not going to participate in that study. Me either. Between 1963 and 73, dozens of Washington and Oregon prison inmates were subjected to experiments designed to test the effects of radiation on testicles. See, now that's that's crap. Yes, you're incarcerated, but you're not just some damn lab rat mm -hmm. for people to just mess with. I mean, they're paying their debt, but yet now they're going to do this. They, uh, they were bribed with cash and suggestion of parole, which is even more messed up. A.K.A. lied to. Yeah. 130 inmates willingly agreed to participate in the experiments, which were conducted by University of Washington on behalf of the U.S. government. Um, subjects were zapped with over 400 rads of radiation, which is the equivalent of 2,400 chest x-rays. Good God. In 10-minute intervals. Oh, my Lord. It was much later that the inmates learned the experiments were far more dangerous than they had been told, of course. Uh, in, in 2000, the former participants settled a, on a $2.4 million class action suit. <sighs> Uh, then there's the infamous... That's all I can do is go... <laughs> it, 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 it boggles the mind, yeah. you know, the evils that men do. You know? I, I think a lot of their testicles went as well. So. I probably so. Yeah. yeah. There's the infamous Tuskegee syphilis study, which is absolutely horrible. In 1932, the U.S. Public Health Service began working with the Tuskegee Institute to track the natural progression of untreated syphilis. 600 poor, illiterate there male sharecroppers and there go again. were found and hired in Macon County, Alabama. Of the 600 men, only 399 had previously contracted syphilis, and none were told they had a life-threatening disease. Instead, they were told they were receiving free health care, meals, and burial insurance in exchange for participating. Even after penicillin was proven an effective cure for syphilis in 1947, the study continued until 1972. In addition to the original subjects, victims of the study included wives who had contracted the disease and children born with congenital syphilis. In 1997, President Bill Clinton formally apologized to those affected in what is often called the most infamous biomedical experiment in U.S. history. That is evil. Yeah. Pure evil. And what, what, it, what it doesn't mention in here is that, of course, the, the 600 poor illiterate male sharecroppers were all African-American. No, it does not. Does not, does not it avoids that. that topic. It does. You know, but, but I'm sorry, back then, you yeah. know, they were all treated as second-class citizens, yeah. treated like trash, so, you know, and that's just... It's that's, horrible. That's Absolutely horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there's the... I mean, most people know about this, the Nazi human experimentations that took place with Dr. Mengele and all that, trying all these, you know, different things to manipulate twins, bone and, and, and muscle transplantation, exposure to disease and chemicals. I mean, the Nazis were pieces of shit. They, yeah. Yeah. And we're going to leave it just like that. Pieces of shit. But even more pieces of shit were the Japanese army during World War II, which had a whole biological and chemical warfare experimentation going on with Unit 731. Based in a large city in Harbin, Unit 731 was responsible for some of the most atrocious war crimes in history. In 
history. Now, I'm, I'm sorry. Japanese are very honorable people now, but their system of honor is absolutely brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they dishonor themselves, we all yeah. know they commit ritual suicide. Right. But they are barbaric on the battlefield, or mm. were. I mean, uh, the kamikaze bombers. They did not II care and... if they died. Yeah. They just took as many people with them as they could. These are monstrously brutal human beings, these Japanese soldiers. Yeah. They did not care no. at all for any kind of human life or proper treatment of prisoners. It was bad. The Bataan Death March. Yeah. You know, let's march them to death with nothing to eat but onions and walk them for 300 miles Horrible. till they all drop dead. Horrible. Yeah. Uh, Chinese and Russian subjects, men, women, children, infants, the elderly, and pregnant women, were subject to experiments which included the removal of organs from a live body, amputation of the study of blood loss, German warfare attacks, and weapon testings. And some of them were even exposed to things such as boiling a person's skin off their hands just to see what their bones look like while they're alive. Uh, Some prisoners even had their stomachs surgically removed and their esophagus reattached to the intestines. Many of the scientists involved in Unit 731 rose to prominent career in politics, academia, business, and medicine. They should have rose up to a guillotine and had their damn heads taken off. Yeah, I mean, it's... Monsters. uh, I I heard a couple episodes about Unit 731 on other podcasts, and if even... Even twenty five percent of what what they report is actually true. It is the some of the worst, absolute worst, experimentation on a human being in the history of mankind. Well, now that we got that in your brain, why don't we go ahead and head on to our weird news of the day? Well, since we've uh, started out on such a glum note this episode, (laughs) I'm going to bring things back up for a minute here. Our weird news of the day. So what we're going to talk about today is an article dated 28 May of 2020 from the UK. So you know it's going to be interesting. Mm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The story by Richard Williams titled, Pair Hired for Man's Broom Sexual Fantasy Turn Up in Bedroom at the Wrong Address with Machetes. Wow. Wow. Uh, All right, yeah. let's, let's hear about this. All right. Two men snuck into a bedroom with machetes after being hired to carry out a stranger's sexual fantasy of being tied up in his underwear and stroked with a broom. Wow. Only to discover they got the, they got the wrong address. That is the weirdest sexual fantasy I have ever heard of. The pair from Sydney, Australia, made their apologies and left the startled victim's bedside as soon as they realized their mistake. Poor, <laughs> poor person in the bed, man. Yep. One of the men, Terence Leroy, has now been acquitted of entering the home in July 2019, intending to intimidate while armed with an offensive weapon, after the New South Wales District Court accepted his explanation. Conceding, quote, the facts of the case are unusual, Judge Sean Grant set out his reasons for the not guilty verdict, saying the evidence did not suggest the men's actions were intentional. Quote, they carried the machetes either as a prop or something to use in that fantasy, he said. 
The fantasy was unscripted and there was discretion as to how it would be carried out. According to the court documents, a man living in western north-southwest near Griffith, quote, wanted a broom handle to be rubbed around his underwear. That's so weird. Uh, yeah. He was willing to pay five grand if it was, quote-unquote, really good. Uh, <laughs> really good, uh, huh? All right, five I, grand. I don't know, man. That's funny. Yo, I will rub someone's underwear with a broom handle for five grand. Let me tell you. <laughs> I will do that right now. Any listeners out there, you want me to come to your house and rub your underwear with a broom handle for five grand? I will be there. <laughs> okay. Police said the intended client had, quote, a history of proclivity for engaging the services of people. Okay. In other words, he was addicted to hoes. He was addicted to you know, paying for sexual fantasies. Paying for sexual fantasies. That's right. Well, I guess, you know, it takes all types. It does. I ain't going to hold it against him. He had made arrangements with a man on Facebook. Sorry, uh, but for five grand, I'll hold it against him. Go on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he had made arrangements with a man on Facebook for people to engage in the role play and sent his address. How stupid is that? That's pretty dangerous, though. Yeah, you're going to put your address just out there. Before he later updated it, after moving house more than 30 miles away. Moving house. Yeah. You know, th this British writing, I tell you. Yeah. But the resident of the home, where the men mistakenly turned up, told police that when he noticed a light on his lounge at around 6.15, he assumed it was a friend who visits daily to make coffee. He said he had called out, bugger off, it's too early. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. After hearing a voice asking, is your name Kevin? Or, I mean, it's Australian. Is your name Kevin? Australian or is it? I don't Australian? know. That was... Right, right, anyway, right. go on. The man said he turned his light on to see two men he did not recognize standing next to his bed, both holding machetes. Man, that is scary. Time to change the pajamas. Yes, it is. A conversation then ensued in which the pair repeatedly sought to establish whether or not he was, quote, Kevin, each time being told, quote, no, in response. <laughs> At one point, one of them asked, are you sure you're not Kevin? As we were told to come to this address and pick up Kevin. <laughs> Eventually, accepting their error, the duo then left. I'd be like, how many times you got to say, look, fool, yeah. I am not Kevin. Get yeah. the heck out of my house. Anyway, they eventually left with one saying, sorry, mate, and shaking the <laughs> resident's hand while the other said, bye. Then the resident called police. Of course. The intended client called the men soon after to check on their whereabouts. Hey, man, I'm in my drawers. Where you at, fool? <laughs> at which point they realized their error. The two men and their driver eventually arrived at the correct address where the would-be customer spotted one and had a great big knife in his trousers. So so it wasn't until after the client called them to check on the whereabouts that they realized the error, not the fact that they I think were they told... realized at the wrong house. They just didn't know where to go. But as soon as they left the house, the, the client called them and says, where the hell are you guys? Because well, the, the client didn't give them the new address, so they were at the right address. But after being repeatedly told no, that this is my name's not Kevin, yeah, that's when you realize your error. The customer told him not to bring the weapons inside, and he left it in the car. Court documents say all three men then entered the correct property. The client began cooking bacon and eggs and noodles after being asked to do so by Leroy. Say, hey, man, we've already had a busy morning, man. We're hungry. <laughs> Please, Leroy. Make me some eggs, man. Who then fell asleep on the couch. 
Oh, Lord. Police wow. police arrived at the property around an hour later and arrested Leroy and the other man who appeared in the incorrect bedroom. The judge said it had not proved that Leroy's intention had been to intimidate. Leroy's lawyer said, quote, it was a commercial agreement to tie up and stroke a semi-naked man in his underpants with a broom. Entry was not with intent to intimidate. I just love the fact that that <laughs> phrase... That phrase is now an official court documents. I, I just wanna I wanna know like like the lawyer go home that day and his wife was like, How was your day? Well, let me tell you. Uh, my case involved a man who wanted to be stroked on the outside of his underpants with a broom while being tied up. So how was your day, honey? Man, that's that's hilarious. That is definitely qualifies as weird news. And it definitely lifted up my spirits a bit. Yeah, that's yep. That's a great, great story. So from 1948 to 1975, the U.S. Army Chemical Corps conducted classified, that is a lot of C's. That's almost like a tongue twister. Chemical Corps conducted classified human subject research at the Edgewood Arsenal facility in Maryland. The purpose was to evaluate the impact of low-dose chemical warfare agents on military personnel and to test protective clothing, pharmaceuticals, and vaccines. A small portion of these studies were directed at psychochemical warfare and grouped under the prosaic title of the, quote, Medical Research Volunteer Program from 1955 to 1975. Yeah, what word doesn't belong in that phrase? Volunteer. Uh, Volunteer, yeah, exactly. No, that's ordered to Mm -hmm. participate. Yeah, Uh, they should have called it voluntold. Yes, as ex as veterans and Mm -hmm. ex-Army personnel, both of us are ex-Army, of course, this kind of behavior and occurrence doesn't at least not to our knowledge uh occurred in our day when we were serving right however back in these days it was perfectly acceptable to lose a certain percentage of soldiers during training right and you know and stuff like that so if they killed a few people they're like oh well you know like live fire exercises things like that so if people were to die Mm -hmm. there was an acceptable percentage that you were allowed to lose in training Nowadays, they don't do that, of course. It's very safety conscious in training and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But back then, the regard for a soldier's life was pretty low. Now, I'm going to go on a... I hate to say it like that, but it's kind of true. I'm going to go on a conspiratorial uh, rant real quick. Not a rant, right but, but kind of take a page from your book. Um, <clears throat> I think there are still uh, secret programs going on that are done using soldiers or even prisoners or civilians. But... They just haven't been found out yet. I think we'll find out about them in the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah. I don't think the government is not one to learn from its mistakes. No, it is not. Um, because it thinks it, it learns from its mistakes and gets better at keeping things secret, but everything comes out in the end. And so I still think there are things going on. They're just, um, they're a little bit, I don't say better, about keeping it under wraps, but eventually it will come out. And these are probably some organizations or... Some kind some of black site stuff, some exactly. off site stuff. Off the grid, not under right. government control, but maybe government. Like part of the, I mean, going to another conspiratorial uh, rant, the um, 
the shadow government within the government that supposedly is in charge of everything in the world from um, you know UFOs to the price of gas to everything they they small group like Majestic 12 that just are in charge of everything and they're the actual government that maintains everything not the government we see and we know of you so, tell me the high table the high table oh, whatever you call high table Majestic 12 whatever you want to call it uh, yeah I think those are the ones that uh, the, the handle all the black site um, stuff. yeah and yeah. I, I I agree with that so the MRVP uh, as it's come to known, was also driven by intelligence requirements and a need for new and more effective interrogation techniques. Overall, about 7,000 soldiers took part in these experiments that involved exposures to more than 250 different chemicals, uh, which was according to the Department of Defense. Some of the volunteers exhibited symptoms at the time of exposure to these agents, but long-term follow-up was not planned as part of these studies. The experiments were abruptly terminated by the Army in late 1975 amidst an atmosphere of scandal and recrimination as lawmakers accused researchers of questionable ethics. Agent Orange. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, many – well, see, and, and to, to point to that, uh, Agent Orange is a big one from, from Vietnam. Huge. What do we have later on? Gulf War Syndrome. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's really recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, they're still going on. Uh, many official government reports and civilian lawsuits followed in the wake of the controversy. Now, um, <clears throat> some of the chemical agents that were tested on volunteers include chemical warfare agents and other agents, including VX, sarin gas, organ phosphorus, and carbamate pesticides, mustard agents, nerve agents including uh, atropine and uh, scopopamine, reactives as the common OP antidote, uh, psychoactive agents including LSD, PCP, cannabinoids, and BZ, irritants, and of course the more mundane agents, alcohol and caffeine. You gotta love it. Let me tell you, I... Would not mind being part of an alcohol and caffeine experiment. Yes. Give that, it to me. That that That's okay. Yeah. All the rest of that stuff? No. To hell with to it. To hell with it. Be no, too. but see, that, that just goes to show you that we weren't doing this, in my opinion, we weren't doing this to harm our own. We were doing this to prepare for enemies like Russia, mm. like China, like possibly even Japan, because of the fact that they are brutal in their tactics. And they have these... these they don't uh, fight by some set of rules like right. we do. See, we fight by a rule of... You know, we fight by ethics and rules. A lot of these other countries don't do that, so we have to prepare for them to play dirty. Right. And they're going to do it. They are. They'll oh, launch yeah. chemical weapons, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. And I'm not going to point at anybody else. I don't want to make nobody mad. But that's just the way it is. We have to prepare for the nastiest that man has to offer. So, yeah... You're going to go through stuff like this. You're going to see stuff like this. It's unfortunate and sad, but it's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, in the late 1940s and early 50s, U.S. Army worked with Harvard anesthesiologist Henry K. Beecher at his interrogation camp at Camp King in Germany on the use of psychoactive compounds uh, such as mescaline and LSD, including human subject experiments and debriefing of former Nazi physicians and scientists who had worked along similar lines before the end of the war. In the 1950s, some officials in the U.S. Department of Defense publicly asserted that, quote, forms of chemical and allied warfare as more humane than existing weapons. For example, certain types of psychochemicals would make it possible to paralyze temporarily entire population centers without damage to homes and other structures. Soviet advances in the same field were cited as a special incentive, giving impetus to research efforts in the area, according to testimony by Major General Marshall Stubbs, the Army's chief chemical officer. General William M. Creasy, former chief chemical officer, U.S. Army, testified to the House, U.S. House of Representatives in 1959 that, 
quote, provided sufficient emphasis is put behind it, I think the future lies in the psychochemicals. This is alarming enough to a Harvard physicist, E. James Lieberman, that he published an article entitled Psychochemicals as Weapons in the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists in 1962. Lieberman, while acknowledging that most of the military data on the research ongoing at the Army Chemical Center was secret and unpublished, asserted that there are moral imponderables such as whether insanity, temporary or permanent, is a more humane military threat than the usual afflictions of war. I was just <clears throat> I was just thinking that. You're going to sit there and, and what you do is a flyover mm -hmm. and you'll you'll basically crop dust the enemy soldiers with a psychosomatic drug of some sort right. inducing them to hallucinate and go crazy uh -huh. where they'll basically start either killing each other, Same. lose their minds <clears throat> or go completely paralyzed and die. Yeah. You know, it's it's, man. it's you know it that's why it's pretty much illegal. Right. They exist, but their use in combat is... It's, it's forbidden. It's by, forbidden. By the Geneva, the but Geneva yet, Convention. Why, but yet, why do we have this crap? And I'm, and I'm a military man, but why do we have it? We don't need it. But we have it as a deterrent, just like we do everything else, because right. other countries that hate us or well, other threats... You know that we face have chemical weapons. I mean, it's it's, it's documented. It's it's like why do we have the nuclear triad? I mean, do we do we need nuclear missiles that are able to be deployed by land, sea, and air? Probably not. But we have them as, as a deterrent. That's the way from it is. other countries. Yes, because if if they take out one form of launching, we, we have, have enough. Other. We have enough in the ocean alone to annihilate the planet. God knows how many times over. Right. God knows how many land-based missiles we've got everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't just have them in the U.S. They're everywhere. No. Land, space, and air, man. They're, yes, sir. It's the SEALs. All right, so let's get into some of the experiments. So, Must we? Unfortunately, uh, it's part of the episode, so yeah. Yes, sir. The Edgewood Arsenal Human Experiments took place from approximately 1948 to 1975 at the Medical Research Laboratories, which is now known as the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Chemical Defense, at the Edgewood area... Aberdeen Proving Ground, Maryland. The experiments involved at least 250 chemical substances, but focused mainly on mid-spectrum incapacitants such as LSD, THC derivatives, benzodiazepam, which is the that's like an anti-shaking drug. It calms okay. it, it, you know, it, it keeps you from shaking. They, a lot of soldiers take it if they're in high tense situations. Gotcha. Keep, but uh, yeah, and BZ. Around 7,000 U.S. military personnel and 1,000 civilians were test subjects for almost three decades. A concrete result of these experiments was that BZ was weaponized, although never deployed. According to the DOD FAQ, the Edgewood Arsenal experiments involved the following, quote, rough breakout of volunteer hours against various experimental categories, end quote. An independent study course for continuing medical education produced by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, Health Effects from Chemical, Biological, and Radiological Weapons, published October 2003, presents the following summary of the Edgewood Arsenal experiments. Renewed interest led to renewed human testing of the Department of Defense, although ultimately on a much smaller scale. Thus, between 1950 and 75, about 6,720 soldiers took part in experiments involving exposures to 254 chemicals conducted at the U.S. Army laboratories at Edgewood Arsenal, Maryland. Congressional hearings into these experiments in 74 and 75 resulted in disclosures, notifications of subjects as to the nature of their chemical exposures, and ultimately to compensation for a few families whose subjects who had died during the experiments. See, now, oh, man. Mm. 
These experiments were conducted primarily to learn how various agents would affect humans. Which I said earlier. Yeah, right. that's that's why they did. They mm-hmm. got to see what it does to see how they can use it in, protect in the against field. it. Right. Yeah. Other agencies, including the CIA and Special Operations Division of the Department of the Army, were also reportedly involved in these studies. Only a small number of all experiments done during this period involved mustard agents or lewisite. Records indicate that between 1955 and 1965, of the 6,720 soldiers tested, only 147 human subjects underwent exposure to mustard gas at Edgewood. See, now mustard gas, they already know what that does to people. Well, they, you know, but I, I guess they had to test the mass. More thorough, I guess, than uh, experiments. That, there, huh? there ain't no getting over that. <laughs> no, Mustard gas not. gets in your lungs. It fries your bronchial tubes. You're done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're done. Jeez. Unless you're Hitler, who was uh, exposed to it but somehow lived. Ugh, yeah. Bastard. I know. According to the 1984 NCR review, human experiments at the DOD's Edgewood Arsenal involved about 1,500 subjects who were experimentally exposed to irritant and blistering agents, including CN, CS gas, PS gas, atomsite, other ocular and respiratory irritants, and mustard agents. For example, from 1958 to 73, at least 1,366 human subjects underwent experimental exposure, specifically with the riot control agent CS at Edgewood Arsenal. Of these involved in the experiments, over 1,000 subjects were exposed to aerosolized CS, 180 subjects were exposed dermally, 82 subjects had both skin applications and aerosol exposures, those 82 poor, poor souls. Yeah. And finally, 31 subjects experienced ocular exposure via direct CS application to their eyes. I take it back, those 31 yeah. poor souls. Yeah. Now, that being said, mm-hmm. you know and I know when we served – we went through the CS gas chamber. Yeah, yeah. Every every soldier, every Marine, Airman, Naval person, everybody at some point goes through gas the CS gas chamber yep. to give you confidence in the protective mask that you are issued mm-hmm. as part of your standard equipment. Now, that burns. It does. And it, it's riot control. It is harm, it, it's harmless long term, but right. temporarily it is seriously debilitating. And let me tell you a funny story real quick going on that. About my time in the gas chamber in boot camp. So, you know, when it, when it happens, they, they take a squad in. They line you up against the wall. Yep. And then drill sergeant comes in who is not wearing a mask because he's just a badass. And <laughs> he comes up to you and he wants you, he tells you he's going to come up to you. When he comes up to you, you take a deep breath, break the seal, and then spout off whatever they ask for, whether it's your name, rank, social, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like about middle way in the squad, okay? Of course, you, you you're as, as it's happening... You're in line waiting to go in, and you see people coming out, and you see yeah. long trails of snot and oh, yeah. spit, and it looks funny, but you're also nervous as hell. So I get in there, and of course, once you're in there, your your heart's going a thousand miles a minute. Yep. And so uh, they come up to me. I'm so excited, but so nervous. I do the opposite. Oh boy. I break the seal, and then I take a, a deep breath. Oh, way to and go! And I get a whole lung full of CS gas, I'm... but I'm able to get out my my rank name and the social, but. I did the wrong thing. So yeah. those of you going to boot camp, don't do that. No. Breath, seal. Breath, <laughs> seal. Not seal, breath. Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. My brief little story about that is I did come, I, I, you know, the same thing, like I said, going there by squad, standing there, one by one, peeling our masks off. Right. And we have to stand there until the entire squad is has done. been done. Yep. Now, when that happened, one of our soldiers freaked out. After, uh, every, I mean, we're all sitting there gagging and choking. Yeah. 
uh, freaked out, hauled ass, taken off out because he gave us all clear tools to get out. Okay. He flew out the door. Oh, yeah. After being instructed, do yeah. not do that. Right. You go out, you take a left. He ran smack dab into the brick wall. There oh. was about 10 feet outside the door. It wasn't yeah. like right there, but there was like Still. a secondary building. Yeah. He flew right out and smacked into Ooh, it. Came damn. staggering back, KO'd himself, and fell back inside the building <laughs> in the gas and was choking unconscious. He was wow. unconscious, but his body was... <coughs> Crap. Trying to reject it, even out cold. So, yeah, we had to drag his ass out of there. Uh, it, it was hilarious. Yeah, at the time it was hilarious, yeah. Yeah, it was It was funny after we were already out, but I'm going to tell right. you what, that ain't no joke. It's no joke, man. Yeah. That CS gas is nasty. It is nasty. Most of the experiments involved tests of protective equipment and of subjects' ability to perform military tasks during exposure. In the mid-1970s, in the wake of many health claims made regarding exposure to the agents, the U.S. Congress began investigations of possible abuse in experiments and inadequate informed consent given to the soldiers and civilians involved. You think? There was a whole bunch of that going on. Let me tell yes. you. Yes. Uh, now let's talk about the scandal real quick and the termination just real quick, briefly. In 1975, September, the MRVP, or the Medical Research Quote-Unquote Volunteer Program, was discontinued and all resident volunteers were removed from the Edgewood installation. The founder and director of the program, Dr. Van Murray Sim, was called before Congress and chastised by outraged lawmakers who questioned the absence of follow-up care for the human volunteers. An Army investigation subsequently found no evidence of serious injuries or deaths associated with the MRVP, but deplored both the recruiting process and informed consent approach, which they characterized as, quote, suggesting possible coercion, end quote. Yeah. Oh, man, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, this was a, uh, this is a really, I mean, so it's funny because we've done a lot of episodes on death and killing, um, but this is, this is one of the more outrageous episodes we've done. Now, I know it's that we say quote unquote volunteers, but some of them probably actually did because the cojones on soldiers in the 60s and 70s, you know, well, World War II, Vietnam, they, they were Gutsy as hell. I would also say volunteer in the fact that much like the Tuskegee experimentations, um, they were probably told one thing and they were probably told they would have follow-up care or they would have some yeah. sort of, and they weren't. And they were not. And they were not. But because they thought they were, they volunteered. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Especially the civilians. They probably promised the civilians, you know, to pay for follow-up care and things like that. Yeah. And they volunteered for it because they thought they were going to get help, but they I'd didn't. I'd be like, you know what? No, it ain't worth the $5. Fuck. You can keep the $5, pal. I've had it. Yes, yeah. That's right. So that's like worse than jury duty. So, yeah. Man. <clears throat> wow. That's a crazy, crazy episode. A little rough. A little yeah. rough. So, well, why don't you give us some good news and tell the fine folks at home where they can find us? I will be happy to, brother. Uh, folks, you can find us on the fourthhand.com network along with our sister project, What the Suck. You'll also find several other fine shows. Good people, give them a like, give them a listen. Give us a like, give us a listen. Please do, please do. Uh, ratings, please. Uh, if you'd like to comment on the episodes, please do so. You can also find us on the Big Evil Facebook under State of Fear, and you can find us on Instagram under State of Fear. Uh, you can find us anywhere your podcasts are, you know, shown. Uh, we're anchor.com. Uh, anchor as well, yeah. Is anchor. it anchor.com or anchor.fm? Anchor.fm. Anchor. Anchor. Uh, um, Google yeah. Podcasts. We're on YouTube. We're everywhere. All right. Well, uh, I think I'm ready to head on that road and get on to the next state. How about you? Man, I am ready. Folks, I am James, and we're going to see you down the road. All right. I'm Chris, and we'll see you at the next state. Maybe there'll be a Bucky's there. Peace out.